Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Take Flight Podcast, which is episode number 219, with your four hosts, Daniel Johnson, Oluokunola, Pabilo Timbo, and I, Shuel Ahmed. Now, from the title, we are back already in the new year with a very exciting Take Flight Talks interview episode, where we interview thought leaders and trailblazers, sharing with us their journey and expertise on how they've been able to take flight in their respective arena. Now, in case you've missed any of our previous Take Flight Talks interview episodes, where have you been? Please make sure to check them out. We've interviewed senior leaders from various industries, from real estate to nonprofits to healthcare to music. Uh, so make sure to please check them out. Our list of interview interviews continues to grow. So please make sure to check them out if you haven't done so already. But now to today's episode is an inspiring leader with a proven track record in the nonprofit and for-profit space. This week's distinguished guest is Natalie Richards, who is the Chief Executive Officer of SEO London. Now, Natalie in her CEO role connects corporates with talented students and business professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. She is also very passionate about supporting schools um, and also uh, intervention tracking and helping schools to find specialist support and life-changing activities for students aged 5 to 19. Now, on top of this, Natalie is also a trustee at Virgin Unite, which is the charity Arm of the Virgin Group and the Richard Branson family. And as well as that, she's an accomplished speaker and panelist with numerous radio and media interviews, which is why we're so excited to have her on the show today. Um, she's as well as that uh, multi-award winner in various areas from the Department of Education Award for Innovation to Venture Opportunities and Tech Challenges. So really wide variety of awards across the board. And as well as this, she's been able to complement her professional experiences with an INSEAD MBA and 10 years of a great track record across IT project management and consulting. Now, if that isn't already exceptional track record, uh, she's also fluent in French and Italian. So hopefully we can test some of that in today's episode. Now, in this episode, we'll be deep diving into Natalie's journey from her younger years to becoming a CEO today, her why for the activities that she leads, and also any tips and recommendations for all you, our flyers out there looking to take flight. Now, let's get started with this exciting episode and hit the music. Take off, take flight with you. Now, hi, Natalie. Welcome to Take Flight Podcast. We are all very excited to have you on. But first question, most important question, how are you doing today? Oh, well, first of all, thank you for such a flattering um, summary there and an introduction. I'm very well indeed. I'm sitting here in a deserted um, office. We're based uh, just around the corner from London Bridge. Um, but uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. I'm very, very excited about the conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me. Fantastic. Why don't I kick it off, I guess. Um, thank you again for being on the show. Um, I think Chua gave a great overview of your career. But whenever we start with a guest, we try to take a step back and look at your younger days. So who is Natalie? What does the older, um, the younger version of you look like? How did you grow up? Um, who inspired you, motivated you to who you are today? Why don't you take us on that journey, starting from the younger version? Oh, right back to the the origin story, as they call it yes. these days. Yes. Um, 
Yes. So, um, yeah, I grew up in um, the uh, in Ilford. And for those of them, you who don't know Ilford by reputation, and sadly, many, many do. Um, lots of uh, news stories about uh, the goings on in Ilford. Uh, but it's where um, the East End meets Essex. And uh, I grew up in a, a relatively modest home uh, to Caribbean parents. My mum's from Guyana, my dad's from St. Kitts and Nevis. Um, so I grew up in the 80s. And, you know, when I think about the progress, fortunately, that we've made since, it wasn't unusual for, you know, people to be hurting racist abuse at you or, um, you know, it was it was a different time. It was before Stephen Lawrence was killed. Um, so, it, you know, there were there were challenges, um, there were opportunities as well. I uh, was fortunate enough to pass the 11 plus and I went to a grammar school, uh, which was a girls grammar school. And, um, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't the most diverse of areas. And there was a, quite a small proportion of, of people from an African Caribbean background. Um, so I was quite used to always being the only one throughout a lot of my schooling. Um, and I find that that's often a theme that, that resonates, particularly with the work that we do, that people are often going into environments where they're the only one. Um, and, you know, I had, I had opportunities, but then some of those opportunities were limited as well. Um, to a certain extent, I think a lot of the talents that I later realized I had were not realized in school. And often you do get some teachers that have um, lower expectations of you, perhaps, or, or don't see your potential. Um, and, and I think that was especially the case then. I think even with the work that we do uh, and that I've been doing, um, I, I find that's still the case. Sometimes the limited expectations of teachers can um, put students on a certain path. Uh, but I was also always fascinated by the idea of going to university and being able to um, break out of Ilford. The world was a big place, had no idea what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to do something quite special in future. And that's where I was incredibly fortunate to be part of a program that resembles what we do at SEO in many respects um, called the Windsor Fellowship. Uh, Windsor after the House of Windsor. So Prince Charles uh, the, or the then Prince Charles was the patron of the organization uh, that was looking for young people from um, ethnic minority backgrounds who might not have the understanding of the variety of different roles and career paths out there who had perhaps potential, but needed the networks, the self-belief, the um, understanding of the interview processes, and also just to, to believe that they could make it by connecting them with the role models. And I was fortunate to get onto this program. And that's where my, my story really begins, because then um, by this point, I was in my first year at Leicester University. I was able to go on a variety of different boot camps and training programs that really opened my eyes and kind of set me on a on a on a good path in terms of my career. So um, yeah, from humble beginnings in the East End of, of London to what would end up being quite an international and uh, vibrant career. Nice. You mentioned around the Windsor Fellowship. How did it find you? How did you find it? Um because that would be quite interesting to find out that background. Yeah, so, um, no, great question. And it was just super random. My mum saw a notice board somewhere and just, you know, said, um, you know, are you a talented young person from an ethnic minority background? Would you like to discover, you know, different career paths and opportunities that await? And she gave me this crumpled bit of paper and I called the number and before I knew it I had an interview and was very fortunate to be able to um, secure a place so the answer is super randomly 
and um, my mum hadn't walked past that um, <laughs> notice board, who knows, my life could be in a very, very different place now. Um, and that's one of the things that when I then um, went on to, to found a social enterprise years later, kind of fast forwarding a little bit in my story, um, that felt so important to me, it shouldn't be random to find these types of opportunities. Mm -hmm. Is there a um, a more structured way of, of being able to um, allow young people with ambition, but who need that extra support um, to be able to access it. But yeah, totally agree. And it was very, very random. Very random. Gotta love our parents for that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. You, no matter what. <laughs> Good she saw the opportunity. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you, Natalie, for getting us up to speed with, regarding your younger years. And I think you alluded to it just now, but accelerating a few years. How has your journey been post-graduation and in your professional career to becoming a multifaceted leader today? Oh, multifaceted. Well, thank you. Thank you for the compliment. <laughs> um, yeah, so at university, I did a gap year to explain the, the, the speaking. For, I didn't speak French back when I was uh, growing up in the East End of, uh, of London, but fortunately, um, went to, I was part of the Erasmus programme, learned to speak French fluently, had two internships at the Bank of England, so had worked in the city and had, you know, a reasonably good understanding of lots of different career paths, knew what consulting was, um, or broadly speaking, and um, applied to Accenture, so the management consulting firm and started a career there. Um, I, when you think about the transition, having done an economics and law degree at the University of Leicester and um, having, you know, with the language skills and um, uh, also having done those two internships in finance, really thought that I'd be working in a really glamorous role um, in, in finance. Perhaps I'd be at, you know, the London Stock Exchange, I'd be in investment banking and I was really excited about what I was going to do next and sat down with the HR manager over at Accenture and then she said um yeah so your first project is going to be in uh stains so I don't know if you <laughs> think that, the reaction told you no no um no no disrespect for any of our listeners that are maybe listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a delivery of the story that was the story <laughs> Absolutely. It's it definitely, it's fair to say it's not the most glamorous of, of locations. So popularized, of course, by LG at that time, which was the only reason people really knew that Staines existed. Um, and never met him, though. Um, and so I, uh, and they said, OK, so what am I going to be doing? And I was testing billing, face, billing interfaces um, for um, British Gas. And I thought, OK. Right. It took a little while to process it. But then so, you know, give it a try. See, see how you get on. And that was actually fantastic advice because I learned so much about technology, about project mm. management, about how these programs and, and opportunities are structured. And so even though my first instinct was sort of you what? <laughs> going <through. laughs> um, it was actually such a good opportunity to learn and to grow. And I moved quite quickly up through the ranks. And my next project actually was in Paris. Um, and by this point, I was, I was I moved across to a role at BP. Where I was the only member of the team on site. And at this point, I was still, you know, less than a year into starting my career. And I was now representing Accenture on sites as their, the, you know, they needed somebody who could speak French, who understood the French system. And, and there I was. And that's when I got my first promotion. Um, so, uh, you know, it was just great to take advantage of the opportunity to have got that 
understanding of how to make a tech implementation happen, kind of a, a large scale um, implementation to take those, that skill set to another client in another country quite quickly. That was pretty exhilarating. So, you know, I'm, I'm giving you the potted highlights. Of course, there, there, there are always challenges along the way. Um, and particularly when, you know, you're, you're, when I got to the project at British Gas in, in Staines, um, which were part of the Centrica group, um, I was the only black person on, on site and, and actually within the team, the only woman. So um, there were a good 30, 40 on the team and I was the only woman when I joined. And so, you know, it was it was not the most diverse of environments, um, you know, and that, you know, that came with some of its challenges. But it was also a really great opportunity to learn and, and also importantly to learn how to navigate those spaces where you are maybe the only one where, you know, you have to um you know, you really have to use all of your 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 savvy to be able to navigate um, the system and, and and succeed and thrive in it. So, yeah, I learned a lot. Talking about that, sorry, just to chime in, how did you dig into that? Because I think all of us probably have experienced that in this podcast where you've walked in the room, you're either the only black person, like you mentioned, um, black female also in that room. How did you navigate that? How did it feel, especially coming from where we come from? Mm. <laughs> Interestingly, and I know, you know, everybody will have a different experience. As I said, in Mm. the area that I grew up in, particularly in my schooling, um, Mm. I was I was always the only the only black girl in my class. Um, The only time I actually had another black student in the same class as me was when I went to university. And sometimes I was the only black person in my year group. So being Mm. the only one was something um, from certainly from an ethnicity perspective was something I was quite familiar with uh, but not you know I went to a girls school so the idea that I was the only woman on the project was actually um, the the thing that stood out perhaps the most for me in that particular context but um, how to navigate it I mean it may sound cheesy but just to really look for the humanity in people like look for the points of common interest and connection and mm-hmm. and build advocates even if they don't look like you um and you know sometimes that that works because you're in control of that situation and then sometimes there are instances where you know things are uh, don't go the way that they should you're not necessarily treated fairly there were there was one particular memory that I have where there was a sort of a rather pompous line manager who who didn't give me the appraisal that I certainly felt that I deserved Deserved. Could evident, yeah, I could evidence. Um, but I knew one of the partners on the project, and I just, you know, I sat, I asked for some time with him and went for a coffee and just said, you know, I just don't think this reflected what I did. I gave very clear examples of what I'd done, and he and denied at first. And a couple of weeks later, the appraisal was um uh, was upped quite significantly, <laughs> which um also at the time was a great learning for me because it meant that, you know, on occasion, if you can stand your ground and do it in the right way with the right advocates supporting you, you can, you can change your, the outcomes. Um, and I'm not saying that's always appropriate advice, um, but fortunately I did know this partner um, who had observed um, uh, elements of my work and was able to make sure that I was treated fairly in that context. So I'm just saying that um, I, I learned both in terms of the skill set, but also in terms of some of the soft skills you need to develop as you want to um, navigate through your career and make sure you're always fighting your corner appropriately. And and sort of sticking with that sort of theme around navigating, um, Natalie, you've built a, a decorated career in, in consulting and, and sort of managerial posts. We are very curious to understand how did you manage the transition from sort of that managerial positions to the CEO title that you have today? 
Um, what were some of the sort of early challenges that you experienced? And also some of the positive surprises that, that you sort of encountered in taking on this uh, position. And you mean the position at SEO London? SEO, exactly, yes. Yeah, so there's another little, um, there's another piece of the story that kind of connects the two worlds. So yes, I was in the corporate space. I, I, I'm, I was promoted to manager um, um, quite quickly at Accenture. And then I moved on from that and uh, worked at KPMG for a while. So another um, of the big four um, consulting and professional services firms. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, to move over to Paris and then worked with um, an offshoot of one of the KPMG projects I was working on, then got my MBA from INSEAD. Um, actually, it's probably worth mentioning that while I was in INSEAD um, back in 2008, I had a brief a foray into the world of finance because finance seemed very I know a few of you a couple of you've got finance <laughs> backgrounds so I, I thought yeah this sounds really great I talked about at the beginning of my career maybe you know I really wanted to go into finance I'd gone into consulting and more on the IT and change management side of things um, and I got my opportunity I did a, an internship I got two offers for internships and so in the summer of my MBA uh, did an internship and um, despite you know very challenging environment, challenging year, got um, an offer um, for a full-time position uh, working in a top trading desk in, in London. Right. Um, and so um, <laughs> the trading desk was at Lehman Brothers. Um, so I'm oh, sure okay. you know no, how... Good. 2008, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Ended. Interesting, uh, okay. You, you turn on the TV and you see your job offer evaporating and taking the uh, wow. global financial markets with it. So that was a, a real highlight. And then after that, nobody was hiring. <laughs> so. And is that, is that actually how you found out sort of through the, the sort of media, news, yeah, TV, through the news, pretty much? Yeah. And, and the interesting thing was, even the week before, I had, um, um, I'd sent out an email to the to the cohort of, of people that um, that I'd been with on the summer saying, gosh, it's not looking good. The share pricing's plummeting. Mm. What's going to happen is the bank's still going to be around in a week. By that point, I just got my offer. And one of the HR guys was, was actually copied and he wrote to everybody and said, um, I know this is just speculation. The bank is solid. As the, you know, the chief exec has said, we are robust and we're just going to look for the, the merger or the takeover. And less than a week later, everybody... It was it, it was quite an interesting summer, actually, just seeing how so many of the leads um, and there were some lovely people there, some great people, but they were very much in denial. They just it came completely yeah. out of the blue for them um, in the end. And um, and of course, subsequently, we've realized some of the cultural practices that maybe contributed to the collapse. But in any case, I was there in the eye of the storm. Um, and then so I went back to consulting after finishing um, my MBA at INSEAD. Um, and then decided to take a complete shift in terms of my career and start up my own social enterprise. Um, and the reason I chose social enterprise was because I wanted to strike out my own as an entrepreneur. I felt the time was now. I wanted to, I felt I'd acquired a range of skills in the corporate world that I wanted to apply in different contexts. And um, they say, do what you love. And right from the days that I was at the Windsor Fellowship, I had been giving back to other to young people, some very close in age to me at the time. Um, I was a coach. I was a mentor. I saw myself, you know, I had the opportunity to be a role model for uh, young women who looked like me, who maybe mm. didn't know about these different career paths and options. So um, I did an awful lot of, of that as well as, you know, working with or mentoring and, and volunteering with organizations like the 100 Black Men of London, Young Enterprise, et cetera. 
Um, so when I was looking for like what, what job could I possibly do, um, and what you know, what business could I build? What would I be really passionate about? I just thought it's got to be about supporting young people in some way. Um, and where do you find a critical mass of young people? Schools. So I called mm -hmm. up some local schools and just said, look, can you just tell me what what challenges do you have? Like where where are there? I was trying to understand where there might be unmet needs. And this right. is where the idea for Educate was born. Um, and and going back to my experience, my mum walking past that notice board just felt that what if they could be a virtual notice board where you could find all of yes. the great opportunities available for students. And that's where the the very first inclinate, you know, iteration of Educate was born. Uh, but it soon pivoted into a space where what we felt was important was for schools to understand the mental health and well-being needs of their students, because if they knew which ones were struggling, um, whether it's, um, you know, because they had particular difficulties or challenges or because they had aspirations that weren't being met and they needed to be connected um, mm -hmm. with organisations that would push and challenge them and provide them with opportunities, there was a better means of understanding the needs so schools could connect them with what was out there. So that's what became Educate and I ran um, yeah, and I ran for um, just under a decade and then ended up at SEO London. And in terms, just to finish off on your, your question um, with a quite a long-winded answer, um, having built something from scratch to a team of 20, which is where Educate was at the point where I stepped away as chief exec, uh, and I'm now on the board and the team continues to run, um, I think the SEO London board felt that I brought the blend of corporate experience yes, that I had yes. in my previous life, as well as a desire to have an impact through um, the role um, running into Educate, uh, which gave me quite a unique insight into those two worlds um, that I could bring to my role. Absolutely. Let me Pivot just say, Daniel, let me yeah, just jump so in. Many, so many more questions going to come yeah. from, but yeah, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> jump in, uh, Daniel, Daniel, please. Go. Um, so just a question, and obviously probably being a little not being biased right now because you have the experience of a non-profit and obviously working for a profit which do you enjoy the most which aspects do you enjoy the most obviously you're, put, you're putting one. Natalie in a tough position yeah this is, this is a, where, where yeah. we can we can we can happily oh, edit this uh, answer out Natalie so <laughs> well I guess what do you enjoy most about the non-profit side I guess well interestingly I would describe myself as, as being somebody that loves working in impact-focused organizations. Mm. And many, it's true that many, um, if not most, of those impact-focused organizations are not-for-profits or charities. But that's not necessarily the case. There's a whole world of social enterprise where actually you can be profit-making, but also um, have a really robust um, social impact mission at your at your core and so if I had to kind of sort of say what my my, my dream is or my, my um, where I, I love to operate the most is actually where there's an organization that is impact focused but that has a viable and sustainable business model that underpins what they're doing um, whether or not it's a for-profit or it's a not-for-profit as in the case of SEO London and one of the things I'm really drawn to with my role is that we have such a strong value proposition for our partner firms so I hope that's a, um, a, an elegant that, way of, of that was an elegant and perfect <laughs> answer it, it's okay. not an either or is the point that I'm yeah. trying to make it not really is mean. that you can find um, really great ventures that combine that sustainable dynamic entrepreneurial approach 
with massive um, social impact. Love it. You don't have to choose. Amazing answer. So we definitely don't need to edit that one that one out. Um, it, so building on that, actually, and I'm just thinking about the the story that you've been able to share. And I think that's also one of the big reasons why we wanted to have you on, because you have such a multifaceted background, as Daniel had mentioned, um, in corporate, in entrepreneurial space, in, in not-for-profit. I think a common theme that has come out a lot from your story is having that courage to take a jump and yes. having that courage yes. to take almost the uncharted path. Now, with with people coming from underrepresented backgrounds, sometimes you want to take the safest option because the safest option is guaranteeing safety. And sometimes you want to make that change, but you're hesitant because you understand where your family has come from and you don't want to risk it all because that feeling of success and failure is almost touching each other. It's very, very close. It's almost on edge with each other. So I think in your career, you've demonstrated that you've had the courage to jump and it's also worked out. But tell us what the, the, the jumping from different subject matters and different yeah. opportunities. What, what's been your thinking behind that? And how has that evolved over time as well? Yeah, you know what? The, the, there hasn't been as structured a game plan as, as <laughs> this one might think. Some of it has been a little random, if I can if I can be um, uh, honest about that. I mean, you know, at one point I was thinking of going to finance and then the bank collapses and so do the global financial markets mm. and you have to roll you have to roll with the punches I think mm. um I'm a big advocate of, of education because I do feel that it's something you can always fall back on um so mm. I've always had a little bit of an entrepreneurial bug but I wanted to get my degree and that's not necessarily the case for everybody I know there's certainly many people who strike out um at different points but but you know my personal um advice in order to kind of hedge your bets is if you get your if you get that you know your education and you get some experience under your belt then you can experiment and try and see how things go and if things don't work out then you can always go you can always go back to that um so yeah I think you need to be a little crazy sometimes to mm -hmm. to, to mm -hmm. take mm -hmm. a leap of faith and and give something a go but if you also see every every failure is a lesson. And I know it sounds so cheesy and people will say, oh yeah, how does that work? You know, I'm worried about this. Well, you know, the lessons that are the, the best lessons you learn are sometimes the most painful ones. And what I found in my stories, they invariably help me at some other point in my journey where I look back and I think, oh my goodness, that was torture at the time. But actually now I'm dealing with a certain situation much better than I would have done. So I think, um, as long as you know there will be bumps in the road, but you know that you'll learn from them and grow, then, you know, why wouldn't you give something a try? But another thing that I think is really important is having good people around you <laughs> who can make sure that they're steering you along the way. If they're not readily available to you, seek them out. You know, sometimes you just ring up somebody and say, I'm a huge admirer of yours. I love what you've done in your career. Can I meet Can I meet you for lunch? Can you give me some advice? And you'd be surprised just how many will actually say yes and give you some really fantastic life-changing advice or some good contacts. So I think be bold, go for it, but be prudent and smart about the decisions you make at the same time. I like that. Uh, pivoting slightly, Natalie, we have a strong audience of professionals and entrepreneurs who are looking for trustee board and additional leadership opportunities, myself being one of them, actually. Mm -hmm. How has your experience been in that, that area? And can you, at the same, same thread, can you tell us more about your experience as a trustee with the Virgin Media, Virgin Group? Yes. So first of all, if you are thinking about um, joining a board as a trustee or a non-executive director, I would say absolutely do it. It's such a great experience. 
And what it does is to give you another, um, another string to your bow uh, because uh, you can have a parallel career. And as you get, you know, as people start to, to get older and you guys are obviously so young and fresh faced, you're probably thinking that's decades, <laughs> decades, decades away, but it creeps up on you. Um, it's some people start to move towards what they call portfolio careers where they can be on boards, they're advising boards and, and they can even um, be quite lucrative positions. So Anyway, if you're thinking about joining a board, absolutely do it. And in terms of my own personal experience, my first board role was with an organization called Generating Genius. I happened to meet um, Tony Sewell, who was, who's now Lord Tony Sewell, who was the founder of the organization. And he was looking for board members. Um, at that point, I was pretty young and you know, a woman that was in a tech career and he thought that I could bring something quite special to the board. So it can be as fortuitous as a, as a chance meeting. It can be much more concerted than that. But there are so many roles out there that need people with fresh ideas um, who can bring something to the board. And often you'll think, oh, I haven't got enough experience. I'll do it at a certain stage of my career. No, you have lived experience. You have opinions. You have um, a huge amount to bring to the table that perhaps others don't. So I would absolutely advise people just to go for it. And there's lots of organizations out there like um, uh, Black on Boards, um, On Board or Getting On Board, a, a variety of different organizations out there that you can try to get your first board role. Another mm. thing that I would mention, because I'm so passionate about this area, it's your fault, Daniel, for asking me the question. But it also does, when you're on a board, you're not operational. You're about ideas, you're about the, the three S's, so you're about supporting the organization with your skills and your experience, you're about scrutinizing what they do and making sure they have good governance, um, and you're also about strategy, so thinking about new things that they can be doing to improve their impact or their performance. And it's lovely, actually, to complement your business skills where you're used to doing things with taking mm. a step back and thinking strategically about how you can support them. So definitely an advocate for that. How did my role come along at Virgin Unite, having done a couple of um, board roles, including the one at Generating Genius? Um, I was approached by them. Um, they were looking for a new board member. They, um, they have a really a really innovative approach to driving social impact. And I came from a consulting background and a lot of what they do feels more consultative um, in terms of the way that they support and incubate the organizations and the, and the projects that they support. Um, and so it was just really good timing. Um, I, look, I know it's a fantastic name. I was quite aware of that to have on my CV, but you, you know, you give up quite a lot of time and energy when you have a board role. So I wasn't going to take the role for that, but I really liked the way that they operated and importantly, the types of ventures that they supported and types of work they got involved in. So for example, um, Richard is very passionate about ending the um, death penalty, which I'm also, um, and that's not as popular um, a, uh, an initiative as some of the other initiatives that philanthropists will support, but that's something that he feels very passionate about and criminal justice reform generally, which is also a topic that's really close to my heart. Um, and the entrepreneurial way in which we support some of the ventures is also quite unique. So it felt like there was a good fit. I thought, join it, see how things go. And I'm still there seven years later. So um, no, it's been a great opportunity to have impact on a tremendous scale and a global scale as well. Because if you can imagine little old me from Ilford um, gets to sit on the board of, um, of Virgin Unite, where, for example, during COVID, the COVID um, pandemic, 
we were chartering some of um, the um, the planes, Richard's airline, to be able to get vaccine um, in in country and some of the worst hit areas. Um, you know, for me to be part of the the team that's signing off those types of initiatives is a huge privilege, and you know, the impact I can have is tremendous. So, um, I hope I've managed to convey the excitement and the um, and the benefits of having board roles. Um, I, I won't bore you further, but definitely, I think it's a great opportunity for anybody who thinks, um, who's thinking about it, definitely at least investigate it because it's a lot easier to get into than you might think and so much more rewarding as well. You certainly have exceeded that excitement. And yes. By no, means, by, no means, by no means was it boring. So thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you. good. I'm glad. Uh, Natalie, the, the topic that we wanted to pack um, and discuss with you um, very, very important uh, topic, which is around diversity. In yep. your journey, one of the themes has been sort of the only one where you go into rooms and sort of your, it's obviously that I think you've used that to actually fuel you to, to move along your career. Yep. What's your, what's been your um, experience around how you see diversity improving or maybe not with workspace? Um, and at which levels do you think we're actually seeing progress around diversity? And that obviously means people from sort of representative backgrounds and also females as well. You know, are we seeing change or is it something which is um, um, a good discussion that happens in the boardroom? Yeah, good question. So first of all, on being the only one, um, yes, as I said, I've, I've often experienced that in some respects been, you know, not found it quite as, as daunting, although there's the only one in terms of um, ethnicity, for example. But, you know, when you're spending an awful lot of time with Oxbridge guys who've been to, you know, boarding school, <laughs> that's a different yes. type of feeling like the only one. Sure. Right? So, yes. Yeah, um, of course. It presents itself in many, many different guises. But what I would say is, uh, particularly when I was um, running Educate, and we did raise some some seed funding from from VCs and others, I actually was able to use the only one to my advantage mm. because often there were predominantly males, if not only men, that were pitching. Many startups are run by men, um, often the only person of colour. And then I would sort of come in and educate this really sort of multicoloured logo on, on our T-shirts. And I used to go and, and I would stand out. And because I would stand up, people at least listen to what you have to say. So use the fact that you have their ear to say something really important. So just to, just to put it out there that it can be, it can also be um, something that you can make work for you in certain contexts. Um, but in terms of the, the landscape, look, when I was at the Winds of Fellowship, I was often going to environments where, you know, there were few, if any, people of colour. And now when I look at the progress that many of the partner firms that we work with at SEO London um, have made over the last, you know, couple of decades of my career, it's just extraordinary. Um, now, look, much of that is happening at the entry level. So mm -hmm. you're seeing good, you're seeing much better representation, both in terms of gender as well as um, in terms of ethnicity. But what we want to do is to see that now translating to progressing through organisations because it's not, it feels, you know, that not, uh, at least half the work is still to do if it's just about getting people in the door and then within five or 10 years, they, they're gone. You really want to make sure that they can see themselves as the senior leaders of organisations. But a huge amount of progress has, has been made. Um, and I think there's there's no question, certainly in the UK, um, I was also, as I said, studying in France, and it's unfortunate that far less progress has been made out there for a variety mm. of reasons. Um, so, um, yes, there's been progress, and um, yes, there are opportunities, but I think the hurdle now is how to navigate the hurdle, you know, the challenges that you experience when you're in a career 
Yes. And again, it's the same themes, not being able to see representation at senior levels, not being able to understand some of the unwritten um, rules or hurdles or barriers that might be in the way, not having access to those networks, not looking like somebody that they have promoted into a certain role before. So those all exist. Um, but again, that's why the work that we do is so vitally important in SEO. So maybe Natalie, just to double click on the the important work that you that you mentioned, and I think maybe for the listeners, both Pabila and I have mentioned this before, but we are both SEO London alumni as well. Uh, back in 2012, which seems a long time ago, uh, SEO London was the organization that introduced both Pabila and I to a large multinational corporate company, gave us the opportunity to move abroad for the first time for a three-month internship. And somehow we convinced this company to keep us. Uh, and then almost 20 years later combined, we've had an amazing experience. And that is um, meant a deep, deep gratitude towards SEO London for the amazing work that they've done. And over the years, both Pabila and I have stayed connected with the community. And we've seen how it's expanded every year, the number of professional partners, et cetera. But I think it's, it's really worth highlighting, especially since you've come in, Natalie, in, in, into the role as CEO, how the SEO alumni network and the events has really grown. And we've seen also mm. recently how you've expanded into other countries. So please tell us more about SEO London since you've come in, some of the, the amazing initiatives that you've done and also the, the plans for the next uh, few years as well. for Vision. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I think you guys are such good examples of, of what we're all about and, and why what we do is so incredibly important. So just in terms of the backstory, uh, we were founded 60 years ago. Uh, in fact, last year we celebrated 60 year anniversary um, in, um, in New York, in the US, uh, at the start of the civil rights movement. And our global founder, Michael Osowicz, um, wanted to, well, he saw a need to provide um, opportunities to African-American youth. Um, I mean, remember at this point, you have segregation in many states, a real distinct lack of opportunity. So it started with an, um, an after-school program to help um, them to um, dream big, get into some of the top universities um, in the US. Um, and then that morphed into the careers program, which is where we spend most of our effort. And you guys would have gone through the careers program, which is about taking talented university students, helping them to develop the, um, the skills, um, the experience, um, focus with, you know, develop the motivation, self-belief, um, as well as the tools to be able to get into competitive industries such as finance, law, technology, consulting, et cetera, um, helping them to get internships and convert those internships into full-time offers. So um, we had been doing that for, um, I think, about three decades when one of our um, alumnus from the US arrived in the UK in the year 2000 and his name is Andrew Fairburn who I know you've also had on our uh, on your on your podcast and he he thought quite rightly that the UK needed what SEO had to offer so he he founded SEO London um, and so we have three programs we have our schools program which is focused on helping um, school students from the age of 15 to 18 all of which are from low-income backgrounds some of the most disadvantaged backgrounds on the pupil premium so free school meals and helping them to be able to improve their grades have an idea of what careers they might want to do after after finishing um, school and, and university get into top universities so it really is about helping them to to again dream big and think about what they could do and develop those core skills from the point where they're at school. Um, I've talked about the SEO um, 
uh, careers program. And then importantly, whichever of those two programs people have been on, they can then join our alumni. And our alumni is where the model um, has exponential impact because each person within the alumni is helping the next generation that comes through. And that's the real beauty of the model. If the, those that we've helped then um, pay it forward and support the next generation, that's how we scaled from our first cohort of just seven young people, uh, one of whom is now on our board and is a senior partner at Goldman Sachs, uh, Nishi Samaya. Um, but we went from seven um, back in the year um, 2001, uh, when she finished at SEO London, to um, about 4,000 young people that we support every year now. Um, so you can see that growth is only possible because of the power of our alumni network. And as I said, you guys are really great examples of that. Um, amazing. And uh, this, uh, this one comment that I just mentioned to the listeners is if you want any more any more information, you can go on seolondon.org. But uh, Natalie has mentioned some of the, the, the members that have gone on to amazing careers. But if you look across a lot of these large organizations, whether it's in banking, consulting, managing directors, CEOs, partners, a lot of these people who came through the SEO London program are now in very strong, influential roles mm. across multiple industries and that's something that i think we're all proud to be part of and i think we're also very privileged and i see that you're leading it as as, as you are for the next generation so um, yeah. i think on behalf of everyone just a big thank you to you as well and to the amazing team that's helping yeah no thank you and you know I, I i could take credit for the successes but honestly we have a phenomenal team uh there are 70 of us now we have grown wow. massively over the last few years and particularly with with george floyd and um mm. a lot of conversations about the lack of diversity and opportunity uh we've had some very um generous and forward-thinking um partners who supported our work in a nutshell um when you said what, what's coming next we are launching to um uh, we are launching in France, where we launched last year. Um, I'm incredibly excited to take our model to another European country where there is a lack of access to opportunity. Um, there's a different framework there. People have an aversion to talking about ethnicity or race. Um, but we're focusing on those young people from low-income backgrounds with a program as well for women. Um, and also just uh, making sure that social impact is at the heart of everything we do is incredibly important to us. And being now that we are two, we're moving into our, you know, our third decade, um, that we are much more analytical about understanding that impact, making sure we're supporting the young people who need us the most um, and scaling that. So we're very mindful of the conversations that are happening in the US around affirmative action, around DEI programs. Um, there, there's definitely a shift in appetite. Um, and, you know, certainly in terms of SEO London, we see, we see the changes that have happened over the last two, three decades. And we know there's a lot more work to be done. Hmm. Um, but also, you know, my personal view is whatever your political persuasion to see um, a prime minister of colour is something I did not think would happen at this stage. Um, so, you know, even those who criticise Rishi, you know, for me, it was such a milestone that that we had um, that we had a prime minister who is from an ethnic minority background. So I think increasingly we, we need to tailor our approach when we see that the country is evolving. He mm. obviously is incredibly prestigious boarding school and um and so we are making sure that we combine our focus on um ethnic representation with um really looking at 
social mobility as well. We think that that is where the, the real battleground is and making sure that those young people from the most economically disadvantaged backgrounds are, are well represented amongst those students that we work with and, and doing a lot more of that work. So yeah, our mission evolves as the country and the context evolves and we are um, always looking to make sure that we're supporting the right young people who need our support the most. Natalie, just, just quickly on to tag on that. I'm curious to understand what does success look like for you with this SEO in the sense of, is it the, the number of students that you try to attract each year? Is it the conversion from internships to full-time positions or how long students stay within the corporation? What's the the sort of metric, if you like, that you really are, you know, are paying attention to or, or you know, look at from a success standpoint? A great, great question. And, you know, I'll cop out slightly because there are several metrics. So sure. first mm. of all, um, for me, it's about impact. There's no point helping, you know, we could help 100,000 kids, but if we've got, you know, next to no impact, then, then what's the point? So it's got to be about, can we take a young person who perhaps wasn't aware of these types of career paths? Can we take them on a journey where they believe they can do it? They have the tools they need to be able to um, select an organization that might make sense for them and confidently succeed in that evaluation process so they can get in through the door and convert to a full-time offer and be successful in their career. And if if that's working, then clearly we then want to scale that. Yeah. Um, and we get, um, you know, between about 800 and 900 students who get um, employment at one or, or more of the firms that we're, we're supporting um, on an annual basis. So, yes, that's a key metric for us. Um, but then another for me is how many of those are now giving back. Um, ideally through us that would be wonderful they come back as mentors and and advocates but even if they are you know some have started social enterprises uh, we have many of our uh, alumni who have started other SEOs globally in the same way um, that Andrew did when he started SEO um, SEO London so there's so many ways of having impact but for me it's those those three metrics how are we doing against our mission of connecting talent with opportunity um, how many of those um, uh, are then um, uh, getting permanent roles and then how many of them are giving back to the generations to come. Natalie, I have a quick question before we go to the quick fire round. Yes. And it's the question that everyone on the podcast and all of our listeners by the time they've got to this point are waiting to know, is that finance dream still a dream yet to be lived or is it all <laughs> closed? <laughs> it's closed, it's closed. We're on to bigger dreams now, Daniel. That was a, that was a <laughs> I make my contribution to the world of finance by helping the leaders, of the, the finance leaders of tomorrow to... <laughs> find the great firms where they're going to have maximum impact so that's that's where I see my my role but um but I certainly love what I do and I love the role of chief exec as well my my goodness to be um fortunate enough to lead a team of 70 amazing people to do something that I really care about is is a real joy so no finance amazing. for me now certainly <laughs> Amazing. So, I mean, Natalie, it's been such a great, great episode. And I think having you on and sharing your diverse experiences and the, the achievements that you've had, it's it's been a very inspiring one. I'd recommend to all our listeners to save this episode, make sure to listen back to it, because there's lots of golden nuggets throughout the episode that I've made lots of notes myself. So I hope you have enjoyed the episode as well. And uh, as we always close with all our Take Flight Talk interview episodes, we have a quick fire five question round for you, uh, Natalie, uh, and then we'll Yay. wrap up the episode. Good to go? 
I, as I'll ever be. Let's, let's do this. <laughs> right, perfect. So question number one, uh, what's the worst piece of advice you've ever received? Ooh, um, probably if it's meant to be, it will be. Don't like those sorts of expressions because I think we have so much agency in life and we can make so many great things happen um, rather than being passive. So yeah, be the agent of change in your life and go for it. Amazing. And I think that gives us a perfect segue in terms of the, the best piece of advice that you've received, because I think you've already gave uh, given one gem just then. But is there anything else that you've been told that you regard as, OK, this is really the best advice or something you hold dear now? Yeah, I think probably the best um, the best advice I've heard is never let a good crisis go to waste. And I love that expression because um, a crisis can actually be an amazing opportunity. And often you'll find that great businesses or great entrepreneurial ideas come from adversity, um, whether that's personal adversity or a recession or a crisis in some way, because that means a lot of change is happening. And that can often be where you you find that nugget that, that means that you can differentiate yourself. So yeah, never let a good crisis go to waste. I personally love, love that it. one. I personally like that one, Natalie, because crisis in Japanese and kanji means opportunity and danger love it i did not know that but that's uh, <laughs> I, I love it even more now <laughs> perfect so then the the third question uh is a piece of content that you're loving at the moment so it can be a book can be digital media a movie etc i'm loving at the moment uh do you know what trivially i <laughs> it's a bit corny but i love squid game i don't know if you guys have uh, have seen it and i cannot <laughs> wait for the second series i just thought it was so creative different i love the fact that it was um a south korean drama and a lot of the personal stories really resonated i don't know if that was sort mm. of thing you're looking for but mm. i do um i i've just thought it was a superb series i can't wait for series two have you seen the Very, reality uh, version of that i, I did that. I, I, it's I, not quite I, the same yeah. It was well done, but I want the drama. I want to hear what I want to see what happened to the detective. I'm I'm waiting for the mm. series to come out. The drama in the reality show is the winner not receiving their money yet. I mean that's the oh wow <laughs> that's the biggest <laughs> drama there. But for for any of our listeners, I mean a lot of people have watched the show. It's a smash hit. But in case you haven't, then you can find it on on Netflix, and we can all highly recommend it. It was a, a smash smash hit from South Korea. Um, the penultimate question for Nessie is something that you're curious at the moment to learn more about. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm trying to learn as much as I possibly can about the legal frameworks in the US. I know it sounds really it probably sounds dull to some, but just with respect to the conversations around affirmative action and DEI. And I won't bore you with your penultimate question, but um there's so much movement in that space. And I like to think that there's a middle ground or there's a pragmatic way of not undoing all of the some of the positive work that has been happening about really creating opportunities for those who need them um, but also appreciating that the world changes and when that happens you have to change your approach as well so I am trying to get into a lot of the case law that's happening and really follow that with interest but I I sincerely hope that you know there will continue to be a focus on DEI because um, it, it, for me, it's a synonym for fairness and opportunity for those who don't have it. Um, so I think there's a way that we can do that without anybody feeling that they're under fire or they're being deprived of opportunities themselves. 
very important topic, especially in the in the, in the climate that we see ourselves in at the moment as well. Um, and then the 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 final question for you for this evening: What does take flight mean to you? Yeah, look, um, I think it's so consistent with what we do at SEO. So SEO is about taking. Uh, connecting talent with opportunity and when when you do that 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 talent takes flight right they're able to achieve their dreams they're able to soar to heights that they probably never thought were possible um and that's not just about them as an individual it's about what they can do for their community and for others who follow them so for me it's a wonderful opportunity just to um take a person a, a group a, a community um yeah to uh, to to the very extent of their potential um so yeah and when you're and when you're up there you can see things you never could possibly have dreamed. Mm. amazing uh, natty i mean thank you so so much i'll pass it over to daniel to to wrap up i think on behalf of everyone a very very heartfelt thank you for for your time today and for the work that you're doing yes uh natty as they'll say in italiano grazie 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 mille <laughs> or en merci beaucoup um so yes for those who aren't fluent in italian I'll say thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Or in French, thank you very much. So Natalie, on behalf of us all, we really appreciate you spending your time with us, sharing some really insightful nuggets mm. on your journey and just more about you and your background and where you've come from and what you're doing now. And we can't wait to see you evolve even to greater heights um, and look forward to seeing what the next five to 10 years will do as well as longer. So thank you all. Thank you, sorry. Thank you from us all um, for, for being on the podcast. But for our listeners, for those who want to find out more to connect with you, have you got any sort of website handles or anything that you can share that's public? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that. And grazie mille anche a te. Deniente, deniente, deniente. Merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. I'll drop in a little bit so you know I wasn't making up the language skills. Um, and no, it's been a real pleasure um, to 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 have this conversation with you guys. I hope your listeners have found it helpful. And how wonderful again to have two of our um, alumni, esteemed alumni, who are also key parts of your team, which is wonderful. And yes, so we. Um, we're we're available at um, www.seo-london.org. Um, we do please implore you to tell as many of your friends, families, connections yes. as possible about what we do. We don't like to spend huge amounts on marketing. We want to spend that on the young people we support. So we depend on those who know about our work to let um, people know and they can just go to our website and find out about the different programs and opportunities um, that we have available and then we're also always on the um, social media um, that you would expect the Instagram Facebook Twitter um, and TikTok I believe as well so yes do reach out um, and if you're also worth uh, watching and you are from one of the firms um, out there that feels that you want to help the next generation there are a number of different ways you can support as volunteers or sponsors so please also do get in touch with us uh, we only exist because of the um, very generous support of our partner firms um, and of course our wonderful alumni so um, please do get in touch if you'd like to help in some way so to all of our listeners you've heard it so thank you for joining us on this episode we hope you're well stay safe and see you next week for another episode of take flight podcast god bless Take off, take